From understanding the news of today to explaining principles which will last a lifetime, you're listening to the Back 40 Leadership Podcast, equipping pastors and church leaders across rural America and beyond to meet the challenges of ministry while advancing the kingdom of God in your local community and in our world. I am here with Mel Massengale and Todd Stanley. Hello. Greetings. Okay, so today we are going to survey the landscape of preserving that which is good. And so I want to start off by asking you, what does it mean to be the salt of the earth and the light of the world? So in uh, towards the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus instructs his disciples. He tells them that they are the salt of the earth and that they are the light of the world. Salt to preserve what is good and light to guide the world, essentially. And so I want to know, let's get into detail about what does that mean? What does it look like on the ground? Um, salt and light. We hear that a lot in church. Uh, and I want to... I want to, there's, there's two things I want to accomplish with this question. One, anyone who's listening to this who may not be a pastor who's heard salt and light, but really, really isn't clear on what that means. And then two, uh, pastors potentially who their perspective on salt and light has drifted from maybe where it should be biblically. Mm. Okay. Well, you want to? Um, yeah, I think, um, I mean, one of my first responses is that, um, one of the things I notice about salt and light is that they they both bring change, but they bring change differently. Um, salt, um, light brings change from a distance. Salt brings change on contact. Um, so you can't have salt in the vicinity of your food and have it change the flavor. It's got to touch the food. Um, it's got preservative qualities, but it needs to be touching the meat to preserve it. Uh, light can influence from literally millions and millions and millions of light years away, right? It can influence. Mm-hmm. So, um, so I think the first thing I would say is that we've got to understand as pastors that we do influence at a distance. Um, there are people in your church or in your congregation that you never sit down with coffee, um, and you never sit down for lunch or anything like that, but you're still influencing, um, But there's also probably pastors who are on the other side that are like, well, I preach every week, so I'm influencing. Well, you are, but maybe you're being light, but you're not being salt because you've got to be in the trenches with your people. Um, And, uh, you know, even for large, large churches, um, you've got to be in the trenches with your staff. You've got to be pastoring people to bring influence to them. You can't just do it at a distance. So that's the very first thing I think of. It's got to be both. It's got to be at a distance and you know, up close and personal. Um, but you know, the, obviously we could get into all kinds of, all kinds of discussions about salt and its value in ancient world and what it did and all that kind of stuff. And yeah. I think there's a lot of symbolism there. Jesus knew what he was saying when he said that, cause he knew that they would understand the symbolism of it differently than we do today. Cause right. literally today it's just a I mean, most of us just, yeah, most of us (laughs) use it just to flavor our food a little bit. And that's our understanding of it. Or in the Northeast, you know, to clear the roads, right? (laughs) to rust our vehicles. Rust out our cars. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) That's his primary function. (laughs) That's what he was talking about. (laughs) You are the salt of the world. Your job is to eat away metal. That's right. There will be body shops everywhere. (laughs) That's right. (laughs) To keep the automobile market strong. That's right. I I like that. I I actually, I hadn't thought about that. Um, It's interesting of this interesting take of proximity. Um, And you can think of this from a congregational perspective too, because 
you might be someone who comes to a church and you listen to your pastor every weekend, but you don't have those relationships, right. those, those close yeah. proximity relationships. And so you feel like you're getting guidance because you are, because mm-hmm. you're getting light, um, but you're not getting the preservative quality that comes with the presence of salt. Mm-hmm. And so I think about salt too, like one of the things about salt is it's not there's really nothing bombastic in the way that it works. It just, it, its presence is what preserves. Mm-hmm. And so sometimes as ministers, uh, all we can do is provide our presence in a situation. Sure. And another way of thinking about it is that um, salt, when, when we use the analogy of like salt preserving meat, if you just put all the salt on one spot, mm-hmm. it, it, it's not as effective. And so it has yeah. to be sort of spread out. And I, I think that this is roughly analogous to Christ sending out his disciples into the mm-hmm. world. I mean, it would have been easier for them to just stay in Israel and, and, yeah. and uh, you know, try to win back the the lost sheep of Israel, but they're sent into unknown territories. They're sent into foreign lands and, uh, they're, they have to be uncomfortable in that, but, and, and they have to be separated and, and, you know, and so those are all interesting takes on it too, I think. Yeah. And I think, you know, I mean, this, this verse is not written primarily to pastors, right? It's, right. it's written to every believer. I mean, these, yeah. these are the things that we're all called to do in some degree or another, right? To, to have people that we're pouring into, that we're rubbing shoulders with, you know, that, that we're being salt to, and then to have people who are able to observe our, our life at a distance and still see the effects of, of the gospel, still see the character and nature of Christ in us. You know, and so we're, it's, it's, it's a call for all of us as followers of Christ, not just pastors. So from a teaching perspective, do you see a difference between preserving what is good and guiding the world? Um, and so one way of thinking about this maybe is, uh, topical versus expository sermons. Uh, for instance, I think I'm more of a fan of expository messages, but topical messages may have a little bit more punch when it comes to guiding the world. Um, for instance, although sometimes you get a, a real, uh, Gosh, the only term I can think of is banger, and that's just not a good one for, <laughs> for a sermon. But sometimes you get a real banger, and it, it's it's an expository message that happens mm-hmm. to fall right right before Election Day, like what right. we had with Romans 13 this past weekend. Um, from the from the pastoral teacher perspective, do you see a difference between preserving what is good and guiding the world, or are those things so interconnected that there there's really no useful distinction? I mean. I think it's interconnected. I also yeah. tend to think, and I, I, as I say this as someone who loves expository preaching, like I enjoy greatly, like verse by verse teaching. Um, but oftentimes, expository teaching really becomes topical. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, and so yeah. I, I don't think it's, um, I don't think they're as far removed from one another as people would like to make us believe. Yeah. Sometimes, yeah, I agree with that because uh, pastors will. You know, they may be teaching verse by verse, but and honestly, if they're if they're worth their salt to, to you wah, know, wah, wah. Then, uh, then they're going to draw from that text yeah. practical application for people's lives or for what's yeah. going on in the world, and it by default becomes a topical thing. Scripture, you know, has speaks to every part of human life, and so whether you begin with the topic. And bring scripture to bear on that, or whether you start with the scripture and then bring it to bear on the topic, you're doing the same thing. It's just in different directions. Uh, and good preaching is good preaching either way, in my mm-hmm. opinion. Yeah, and uh, I mean, we, I think we've talked about this on the podcast before. Um, 
Like we do both here. You know, we, we try to try to have a, a, a fair mix of either one of those in what we do. But because even some of the topical message messages we'll preach end up being expository because, you know, we might have a, a we might have a, a topic of fear, for instance, and we'll take one passage and right. unpack it together. And it ends up being like a more exegetical kind of message. Anyway, um, so so the deal is for me is I don't care if you're more topical or more expository. <clears throat> um, just don't be a jerk about the other. Right. Mm-hmm. Like because I know a lot of people that are very dogmatic about yeah. we only do it's going to take us four years to go through the book of Luke <laughs> and they have a lot of pride in that. Right. That's fine. That's there's nothing wrong with that. Um, but don't tell me that's the only way to do it because I'm fairly certain that's not what Jesus did. Yeah. Jesus wasn't line by line through the law and the prophets, um, you know. And he was living life with people, telling people stories and illustrating scripture and, you know. Yeah, and there are really good things about both, right? Absolutely. I mean, if you're doing expository teaching, uh, let's say you're going through a particular book of the Bible. Well, whatever things that, that those scriptures deal with, you're going to have to address as a pastor. And so sometimes it will kind of force you to address things, study things, wrestle with things that maybe you wouldn't if you weren't going through that text, right? That's a really good thing. Mm-hmm. Um, the The downside is that it's it's not nimble, right? Yeah. If, yeah. if there's a particular thing that <laughs> happens in your culture, in your city, in your neighborhood, whatever, I mean, you got to stop what you're doing to address that, right? Yeah. It's it's not nimble in that way, and right. so there, are, you know, there are pros and cons on both sides. Happy Easter! We're in part twenty-seven of Romans today. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so couched in his instruction to be salt, uh, Jesus warns against being salt that has lost its flavor. And so I want to uh, get some descriptions from you guys in terms of what this looks like as a person. So when I think about this, I think about like someone who's a beacon of hopelessness. <laughs> like they're just, uh, you know, they're just miserable to be around. Um, very cynical, very resentful, lacking grace, all those mm-hmm. things. Is that, yeah. is that where you'd land on that? Well, I think of it, uh, I think about it as, um, so salt that's lost its flavor has the form of useful salt but it's lost its usefulness right so it it looks like salt it, you perceive it as salt but it doesn't have the properties of salt yeah and and that's the way i think of it i think there's a lot of people who those are the people that are going to say to the lord on judgment day lord lord we prophesied in your name right because they had the the yeah. form of saltiness but not the not the the attributes of saltiness um, so I think churches, especially in the West, are full of people who have lost their saltiness, um, and they don't even know they've lost their saltiness. I, let's take it a step further. Pastors and leaders who have lost their saltiness, yeah. um, and they don't even realize they've lost their saltiness. And I'm not saying that in a judgmental way. I think we have to guard our hearts, or any of us could end up in that place where maybe we've gotten a little bitter or you know, whatever it is where we just – fall into a routine, fall into a job, fall into, well, I'm preaching this weekend again, and it's just a job. It's just what we do, and it's we've lost our passion. We've lost our enthusiasm for the lost. We've lost our affection for Christ. Um, yeah. So that's that's the way I, I look at that. Yeah, I mean, I think it's not that they're a beacon for hopelessness. It's that they're a beacon for nothing. Hmm. 
right? When Jesus talks about salt that's lost its savor, he said it's good for nothing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like you just, you yeah, know, yeah. it's not doing anything. You know, and, and to, to, to switch metaphors a little bit, you know, when Jesus says, I would read in Revelation, right? I would rather you were hot or cold. Mm-hmm. I would, I'd rather you did one or the other. But since you're doing nothing, since you're lukewarm, like I got there's, you know. And so, I think it's that thing. It's mm-hmm. where it's it's not necessarily that they're working against, you know, the gospel or against that's in a negative way. They're just doing nothing. Mm-hmm. Well, and I, I I would push back on that a little bit because. I th- if and I, I don't have the passage right in front of me, but I, I believe the passage says to, uh, it's only useful to be trampled underfoot. Trampled underfoot. Yeah, yeah. and so um, they would take they would take expired salt or salt that wasn't good, and they would spread it on fields to destroy fields. Sometimes, yeah, you know, so that they would like as punishment or and so the properties that salt that's lost its flavor still has is. It still can destroy. Yeah. Mm. And so I, I do think people are destructive even if they're not intending to be destructive. Even if they're not subversive or they're like, I'm going to mess this church up or I'm going right, to hurt right. the kingdom. I think just by default, when we when our hearts are not right, but we perpetrate the fact that we are authentic believers, it is destructive for the kingdom. I mean, maybe there's some parallel to draw in our culture right now. Mm-hmm. I mean, if we talk about, you know, the church and our influence on culture, mm-hmm. um, maybe we've lost our savor. Mm-hmm. Mel, you warned us once during a staff meeting against becoming ministers who do ministry under our own power mm-hmm. and how a competent pastor, a talented pastor, can do pastoral ministry and it looks like they are anointed to do pastoral ministry, sure. even if they're just doing it all on their yeah, own skill talent, set and yeah. their own talent. And that's something to me, that's a warning that I think should be taken so seriously. And the reason is because salt pre- salt preserves meat and other things against corruption, but it's mm-hmm. not obvious to me what can bring back the saltiness of bad salt. So salt can preserve things against becoming bad, but how do you fix bad salt? Um, and so this maybe kind of goes back to the idea of this being passively destructive um, mm-hmm. in the way that, and, and I think you can deceive yourself this way too. Mm-hmm. Like it's, it's entirely possible for, I think for a pastor to be so good at what he does that he just doesn't realize that the Holy Spirit has left him or yeah. that is not working and is not in his ministry. How can a person search himself in order to know that, in order to, to get a barometer as to how close they are to that spot um Mm -hmm. what kind of what steps can they take to take inventory of themselves to make sure that they don't slide into this space where they're doing ministry on their own skill set i think sometimes you don't know until until you have gone past you know what i mean like samson didn't yeah i think you end up in the ditch and that might be when you notice when you go oh my gosh how did i get here um because I think the people I've known, um, it's hard to tell in the moment that somebody is operating in their own talents or abilities or giftings or um, and and not in the anointing. And somebody maybe has better discernment than I do. Um, but it's obvious when you end up in the ditch. It's like, oh, there it is. Okay. Yeah. Um, so I don't know if there's a way, you know, I don't have a, a gauge or a meter to, you know, be able to pick that out. Uh, I think it's hard. Right. I mean, I do think, you know, just in terms of 
if you're if you're someone who's you know you don't want to end up in the ditch well i mean we have to continually allow the holy spirit to examine us we mm-hmm. have to slow down enough to take inventory which sometimes we're really not very good at uh we need other people in our life that we um allow and give permission to to hold us accountable and speak into things we i mean all of those things, all those guardrails that we put up, you know, or that we need to put up to keep, make sure that we're, you know, um, that we're keeping where we need to be, keeping close to Jesus. Um, you know, it, if we are not noticing drift in our lives, well, it's probably because we're not paying attention. And so we just have to pay attention to those things. It has me, like the, it is, is the pursuit of my life, is the focus of my life to draw closer to Jesus, or is there something else that it, that I'm pursuing? Is there something else, even even as a pastor, right? Is is my is my heart drawn toward growing a big church, or is my heart drawn toward Jesus? And the overflow of that is that I love people well, and as yeah. a result of that, your church will grow, right? That's fine, but but it's easy for us to shift that, and to, you know, like this. And and it gets tough, man. Like it, but we, so we have to continually examine, continually come back to the Lord. Search me and and know me. Mm-hmm. And see if there be any wicked way in me. You know? Yeah, I think it's a lot easier to keep your saltiness than to get it Recover back it. once you've yeah. lost it in lots of different ways. And maybe we're departing from the metaphor a little bit here, but you know. Um, can somebody recover after, I mean, even if they don't have a moral failure, maybe they just realize like, man, I am, um, I've lost my deep affection for Christ. You know, like I'm not feeling it in my heart. Maybe they're not burned out, but maybe they are. Um, can they recover from that? Absolutely. They can. It's real hard. And I think that's where part of like the deconstruction movement has come because people get disillusioned. They get hurt, they get disappointed, and they don't feel it, and they go, oh, maybe this isn't as real as I thought it was, right? Um, And and so can we recover from all those things? Absolutely we can. Can we get our saltiness back? Sure we can, but it comes back to us having a teachable heart, you know, not not just teachable in terms of somebody telling us, but allowing the Holy Spirit to teach us. Yeah. and and so I think it's 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 hard. It's challenging when we get there. Yeah, and salt can't recover its saltiness on its own. Right, right. I mean, there has to be some outside thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so you know, in terms of in terms of talking about us as salt, you know, the, we recover our salt by it's a work of the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. And so, um, I mean, it's not about our effort. You, yeah. I can't I can't do enough to be salty again. You know, I have to allow the Holy Spirit to do that work in mm-hmm. me. Um, yeah, I think David realized this danger. And when, when you think, look at like Psalm 51 and his prayer of repentance, there's this outpouring of repentance and it culminates with God, please don't take your Holy Spirit from me. Mm-hmm. And that's like his main thing. Yeah. And and so I think that's wise of like, just don't flirt with the danger of becoming salt that has lost its flavor. And maybe part of that, a simple part of that is just continually uh praying to God that he doesn't take his Holy Spirit from you. And, you know, well, and I think that's a good example. I think it's easy to, it's easy to have a, 
oh, live with this dichotomy that if you are salty, then you're not going to make mistakes, right? That if you are a good Christian doing what you're supposed to do, then you're going to live a, a holy life. But you're still going to make mistakes. You're still going to have issues. And yeah. maybe you're not going to commit adultery and kill the woman's husband and right and try <laughs> to cover it up. But uh, hopefully that's the case anyway, right? Yeah. right? Um, but... But you're still going to find NBC. That's right. (laughs) Keith Williams. He seemed like a healthy relationship until the neighbors had no suspicion that he would. (laughs) So so we have this this idea that our faith is linear and that it's we're always progressing. We're always. But that's just not the case. There's an ebb and flow and we're going to have good days and bad days. And we're going to have days where we don't respond in a godly way to things we should. And. Um, and that's where we have to understand, you know, David had a wake up call where he was like, oh man, I'm drifting. Oh man, my heart is not where it needs to be. And that's where we just really got to be self-aware. And we talk about, um, you know, emotional quotient, you know, um, you know, just awareness, but there needs to be a spiritual quotient too, like a spiritually aware of like where my heart is and Hey, am I drifting? Um, and, and if I am, then what do I need to do to bring correction yeah uh and you know uh we have freedom as one of the things we do at summit and one of the things that we talk about over the course of that is you know living in in spiritual order right more often than not you know i say more often than not our default mode kind of is to to allow our our flesh and our soul to be in the driver's seat and not the spirit you know and and so you know we have to well, we have to make sure that we're living in spiritual order, that we're allowing the spirit to be the, the in the driver's seat. That's God, you know, and and that our our mind, will, emotions, and the desires of the flesh that they are being subordinated to the will of God, to the spirit of God. And you know, it's easy for us to get that out of order because when when the flesh gets hungry, or when emotionally we're um, you know, not healthy, like those voices get really loud, whereas the spirit, when it's starved, gets quiet. And so we kind of work by that squeaky wheel kind of, you know, thing where that's the, that's the thing that gets the attention first. Mm-hmm. When, when from a spiritual standpoint, we need to be, uh, we need to start being aware of when, when the voice of God is quiet, when we're not hearing that, when, you know, and you go, okay, something's out of, something's out of line here. So this, this almost has to be vertical, right? Because what would you do in a situation where you're Martin Luther or where you're, uh, you know, someone, uh, a faithful person who is surrounded by other supposedly faithful people who are accusing you of drifting or mm-hmm. of falling out of line? I mean, it, it, it has to be vertical mm-hmm. in some sense. Like I get, I understand the, 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 you know, the wisdom in the counsel of many and surrounding yourself with spiritual authority and accountability and all this, but it just is the case that there can be situations where misperceptions can govern govern your life. Mm -hmm. And so I think we have to be aware of that too. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And we've talked in the past on this podcast about, you know, pleasing people and people leaving and being upset and all those kind of things. And that's just something you have to resolve yourself to and just go, okay, as long as God is pleased, I'm not really concerned with everybody else. Um, And that's easy to say, but I'm not going to let my life be governed by the approval of everybody around. I'm going to focus on the pleasure of God. And um, 
And if we're doing that, if we're continually doing that, it does make it easier to have that North Star and, you know, be pulled back there. And so, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. And there's like a, there's a leadership dimension here, Mel, that I think you'll be able to speak to is like, uh, when you make a decision and say a bunch of people around you kind of prod and poke at you for it, that doesn't always mean that they, that they disagree. They might just be testing you. They might be Mm -hmm. testing you to see whether or not you actually believe in the thing that you're about to do. Mm -hmm. And so there's these, all these elements of perception that can throw you off course if you're not secure in what it is that you're doing. And so, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know if there's a ton to add to that. I think you're right. I think, uh, that's one of the reasons a lot of churches don't make more progress than they do. Um, is because complacency or they're second guessing themselves or, well, people are pushing back and maybe they're not opposed, but they're just not all in. And so we misjudge their lack of, um, of, um, just, you know, oh, I guess uproarious support, you know, that's what we expect when we say we're going to do something. And if we don't get that, then we go, oh, maybe I'm wrong. Yeah. And it, I think it comes back to the conviction of, of the Holy Spirit and God, what have you asked me to do and told me to do? And Because um, there were some people, I mean, even when Nehemiah rebuilt the wall, right? There were people who were like, yeah, you should rebuild the wall. You want us to rebuild the wall? Um, and then there were people that were like, no, we don't want you to rebuild the wall. There was active opposition. There was passive opposition because people were like, no, we want somebody to do it for us, but we don't want to do it, Right. So, I mean, there's all those things we got to navigate as leaders. And uh, if we're not careful, then it, it, it is easy to drift into complacency or um, just lack of motion. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So when we think about uh, salt, another area we see salt in the scripture is when we're talking about conversations and having our conversations filled with grace as if seasoned with salt, that mm-hmm. sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and so this is uh, Jordan Peterson, I think, made this a little bit more famous in pop culture uh, when he talked about the value of being precise in your speech. Mm-hmm. And so I want to know what, what do you think the value is in being precise in your speech and careful with your words? And I'm talking about like from platforms and I'm talking about in conversation, I'm talking about literally from the moment you wake up to the moment you go to sleep, because I think that that's what Jesus is, is instructing us. It, I think we're being instructed in regards to everything that we say mm-hmm. is crucial. Yeah. And so let's talk a little bit about that. Um, man, I mean, I don't, I don't know that there's much more to add to that. I think, I think there is a lot of value in making sure that, our, that we're precise in our words. Um, and sometimes, though, I, I know for me, I can maybe be overly careful in choosing my words because I don't want to offend. And I don't mean I don't want to... And and I, I want to say that there's a difference between being offensive and and saying something that might offend, uh, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, and so I don't ever want to be offensive, but I can tend to sometimes choose my words so that I don't offend. Uh, and I don't think that's any more helpful than um, than the flip side of that, where you're just careless with your words. And so I think we need to be precise. We need to say what we mean. Uh, we need to say it with clarity. Uh, but we also have to say it with grace. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and I, I like the word careless. I think sometimes uh, I'm guilty of being careless with words at times because um, 
because I'm looking for a laugh or and <laughs> yeah, so yeah. I'll throw some things out or I'll say something that maybe I haven't thought through really well because I'm like, oh, this is hilarious. And maybe it is hilarious, <laughs> um, but it's not always uh, it is not always helpful. It's not yeah. always seasoned with salt, as you said. And so I think it is important to know um, know our audience, not just when we're standing in front of a group of people, but when we're sitting with somebody talking over coffee. Um, you know, whatever it might be, I think it's important for us to, to take that into account and to, I think we have to be authentic, but I think, well, okay. So, um, Christians are notorious for not cussing, right? We don't cuss. That's right. Like we are good at not cussing. (laughs) I've never almost dropped an F-bomb in a sermon ever, right? Because I never use the F word, right? So I can, I know how to limit my language. Yeah. Um, and I know how to be judicious about what I say and not say in some ways. And so all I need to do is apply the same judicial measure to other areas. And so, uh, you know, I, I made the case before that I think every human being is disciplined. Um, we are just selectively disciplined because yeah. there's some things in my life I'm super disciplined about. And then there's other areas that I'm like, man, whatever. Um, and I think the same thing applies to our language. I think that we are selectively disciplined in what we say or do. Um, even think about the people that just fly off the handle and scream and yell and get upset. Uh, they don't do that all the time. I right. guarantee you they're not doing that in their office. In, yeah. You know, They're in a sales environment and they're just screaming at people. They're not doing that. Um, and so I think the same thing should apply. We should be judicious about the words we use and the things we say and the jokes we make and just understanding that that stuff has real value, whether you have a platform, uh, you know, um, of a church or whether you have a family, uh, the words you use matter. Yeah. And I think in, just in terms of our culture at large and our ability to disagree with one another and, yeah. you know, in productive ways, yeah, uh, comes back to this. Uh, certainly, there are other cultural factors at play, <laughs> but part of the issue is that we are we have lost the ability to say things clearly, and you know, to borrow the metaphor again, but have them be seasoned with salt. Yeah. To have them be, uh, you know, bring, be life giving. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, even even when we disagree with someone. Uh, and and we've kind of lost that. It's a lost art in our culture. So what is the role of comedy when it comes to this? Because this is this is the part that I have the hardest time with. Um, I can be precise in my speech. I can monitor every word, mm-hmm. but I and I can go through seasons of that if I if I'm intentional about it. But then I become the most dead serious person that <laughs> I know. Mm-hmm. And the issue that I have with that is that some comedy, even if it even if you have to be judicious about who you're using it with, it doesn't seem like it's having a negative impact. Mm -hmm. And so is it the case of just knowing your audience? Can you say certain jokes in front of people that you can't say in front of others? And so, so then, yes, yeah, yes, there are, there are levels of, um, authenticity or intimacy that I have with some people that I do not have with others. There are jokes I would make with some people that are not inappropriate or crude, but they're jokes that I would not make from the platform. Yeah. They just wouldn't land. Yeah. Because it's different. And so, so I do think there's lots of room for us to, for levity, right? Um, because even one of my favorite picture uh, illustrations of Jesus was the one with him laughing, you know, because it's a great picture that, okay, he was not always stoic, you know, <laughs> he was not always like downtrodden. 
Um, I think Jesus laughed a lot. I think Jesus yeah. was fun. Yeah. And the reason I think that is because he had a bunch of people who followed him. And I don't know very many people who are stoic and unfun who have a lot of people who want to hang out yeah. with them. And so I think Jesus was probably fun. He probably knew how to laugh and make yeah. a joke. and But he also probably knew exactly when to use humor and not use humor. And, yeah. you know, when to say certain things and not. Um, so, yeah, I think it's really, really important that we – um, that we explore that area of our heart as well. Yeah, and this is not just this is not just a problem for pastors. I mean, like yeah. comedians actually are talking about this in the context of our culture. That yeah. like you can't make jokes because mm-hmm. people don't get jokes. Right? Yeah. It's like it doesn't land mm-hmm. the same way. It doesn't. It's yeah. not. You know, and uh, and that limits the ability sometimes of of comedy to be a commentary on culture, which mm-hmm. is really what it should be. That's why we laugh at them to start with, yeah. is because there's an element of truth there that we take to the absurd to to make a point. Mm-hmm. Uh, but when, when, when we live in an environment where being offended seems to be the worst thing that could ever happen to someone, well, then jokes become very personal. I, and man, all of this again goes back to identity, right? And what our identity is rooted in. And, um, you know, I think we talked about this maybe on the podcast recently about, you know, there's a, like, um, we can't discuss ideas anymore because we are so connected to them as a source of our identity rather than an idea being a separate thing from who I am as a person, yeah. I, you know, and so comedy is very much that same way. And, and because of that, in some ways, it's lost its ability to comment on culture. Yeah, there's a there's a dimension to language that goes beyond mere like syntax in some sense. So, for mm-hmm. instance, a person who who can't laugh at comedy anymore is a person who doesn't who no longer understands what comedy is as a phenomenon. Like they don't mm-hmm. understand what it's doing. It would be like me listening to a parable from Jesus and then accusing him of lying to me about everything because yeah. the parable is actually fiction. It's like, well, Jesus, you just lied to me about all this. Yeah, you just made up a story. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But like that's not the point of the parable. Right. And right. so yeah. it's there's something about speech here too that it's like okay well i want to i want my speech to be seasoned with salt that's more than just avoiding curse words it's more right. than just the 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 very most basic part of sentence structure it's, mm-hmm. it's understanding what language is for mm-hmm. and utilizing it for the edification of others sure and so that's uh that's, that's pretty good well i think in the in the culture we live in it's all the more important for us to be be precise with our words um because our goal is not just to survive. Our goal is to impact people for eternity, right? Yeah. And so if I want to impact people for eternity, I want to be conscientious about um, the language they're going to respond to or what is going to um, what is going to be a catalyst for them, you know, one way or the other. And so I want to be aware of that. I don't want to be conscientious of that. But I also feel like... Um, we've gotten so careful about the words we use or don't use and pronouns and language and, you know, all this kind of stuff. It just feels like the whole thing's a trap in some ways. And so, um, so I think that's where I think as believers, we just do our best. We, we go into some of those conversations knowing, Hey, we can't like what you said, Todd, I'm I'm not going to be offensive, but I can't help if somebody's offended. So we're going to have a, I'm going to do my best to have a good faith conversation. 
to love people well and um, how it's received is not up to me. Yeah. I think uh, you mentioned Jordan Peterson earlier. I, I, I think it was Jordan Peterson that was talking with someone about this and saying being understood means risking offense. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. We have to be willing to risk offense while not being not intending to be offensive. Right. Not. But we have to be willing to risk offense because that's the only way we can truly be understood. The clarity requires that we take risk. Um, and so we, we, we can't shy away from that. Yeah. But we have to do it in, in such a way that that we're we're gracious and we are, uh, you know, uh, well, gracious is the word, right? That we have grace toward the other person, that we, we give grace for their perspective, that we you know all of those things, but that we not shy away from the possibility of offense because that's the only way we can ever actually come to a place of clarity. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is something I think that it's just not taken seriously enough in some sense because um, there are entire swaths of the population that are seeking to redefine terms and destroy language is not entirely subjective. Mm -hmm. It's it it might even be rooted in objectivity language, words, terms bind to phenomenons like they bind to things in reality. Mm -hmm. And if we lose our ability to communicate, I don't know how we love. Yeah, I don't know how it's possible. I don't know how it's possible to love someone if you can't communicate with them. And so this is an issue um, that I think is uh, I mean, it, it might end up being taken more seriously out of mandate once we start to see the negative consequences of it continue mm-hmm. to creep in. Um, but I don't know. Every every time I even hear like a slang word, like a new one uh, that's just really far off, like uh, uh, here's an example. This is the wrong demographic for this. But uh, so, so if you've ever heard the term Liddy Kitty, like, like, I don't even know what that means. I had to ask Kendall. It's like, what does that mean? He said, oh, it's just when something's really fun. Or it's like, you know, there's a lot of, if you have like a, a United event, there's like a lot of people there and everybody's having it's a good time. It's going to be Liddy Kitty. That's what yeah. you would say. Or okay. Yeah. But like, that's so far off from what those words mean that it's, <laughs> I can't trace it anymore. And yeah. I don't think that I'm being Charles Dickens here. Yeah. I think that I'm just I, like, this is a serious problem. We yeah. can't lose our ability to scale reason with yeah. each other or we won't be able to love each other. That's how I see it. I don't, I mean. <laughs> yeah. No, I don't disagree with you. I just, uh, I understand that as, um, as, as tribalism has arisen in yeah. our culture, um, tribes are typically, I mean, there's lots of things that will differentiate tribes from one another, but the most predominant thing is the Language. language. So as tribes rise in our culture and they're more and more specific, they're narrower and narrower, we're going to have more disagreements or more misunderstandings with our language, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, just like, you know, I'm, I'm from Oklahoma and I think everybody who hails from Oklahoma claims to have Native American blood in them. I might be the only one who, who doesn't. But, um, but one of the concerted efforts they've made um, – and the state of Oklahoma is with the different tribes to try to reinstitute uh, native languages yeah. back into the local schools so that the kids will learn the language to kind of recapture their culture. But if you go back, um, you know, hundreds of years to when the tribes were on the land, they could not communicate because their languages were different. They would have to have one person who could intermediate for them and help them communicate. And so that's where. I feel like in some ways, um, 
I think churches and Christians can fill that gap and be the intermediator if we're willing to, uh, to help cultures and help tribes connect and help bring wholeness and, you know, those kind of things. Um, but I just see many Christians who are unwilling to, cause we're busy in our own tribe and pushing our own agenda yeah. and pushing our own. Um, and, and that's an issue. Yeah. That's so when we talk about like, uh, pastors going out into the community and, and preserving what is good or trying to be salt and light and trying to guide the community, what are some low cost ways? And when I say low cost, I don't just mean financial, although I also mean that I mean, low cognitive overhead, maybe uh, low time amount, you know, amount of time mm-hmm. spent. What are some low cost ways that they can be salt and light to their community? Like the one that first comes into my mind is wherever you are, don't be rushed. Mm-hmm. If you're just, if you don't appear as if you're rushed, that can do a lot for people. Like it, it communicates value. It communicates intentionality. It communicates security, mm-hmm. all those things. And all it is, is just not appearing rushed. Yeah. And so do you have anything that comes into your mind when it comes to uh, low cost ways that a pastor can help preserve the good in their community and guide them? Just going back to what you said, I think it was John Maxwell that said, walk slowly through rooms to leaders. Um, and he was talking to a group of pastors the, the time I heard him say it. And he was talking about when we walk through the lobby, yeah. you know, walk slowly so that people can stop you and talk to you because they won't if you're walking quickly. And right. so, I mean, that's a very specific thing, but that just goes back to what yeah. you were saying. Yeah. Um, be a good neighbor. Mm-hmm. You know, that doesn't, that doesn't cost you a lot to like say hi to your neighbor, know their name, yeah. ask about their kids. Yeah, Check, yeah. How help are things going? You offer know? to help with a project, right? Oh, hey, you're doing. You need any help with that? Yeah, can I give you a hand? Yeah, you know, like those are those are easy ways. Um, you know, be involved with what your kids are doing at school, mm-hmm. uh, and meet the other parents when you do that. Just, you know, just be present wherever yeah. you are. Yeah. Be present. I like that. Yeah, be present. You know, and I I know our church is is bigger than a lot of churches, um, but we've one of the things we've done is we've adopted the school districts that we're in. So like Indiana and uh, River Valley, um, and we do teacher appreciation. We try to come alongside and just assist teachers when we can, things like that. Um, and I know there's some churches that they would say, well, that's hard for me to do that. And that's where I would say, hey, if you're a solo pastor and you're listening to this, um, a, adopt your kid's classroom, you yeah. know, the, the classroom your child is in, just tell the teacher, Hey, we are your go-to. If there's anything you need, you need a volunteer to sit in with the class during state testing. We'll be there. Uh, you need adults to come in and read to the class for, you know, reading week. We're going to be there. Uh, you need somebody to bring snacks for, you know, we're going to do that. And even if you're a church of 30, I bet you could do something like that. And it's going to make a big difference yeah. in in that classroom with that teacher. Um, so maybe you can't uh, affect a whole district, but I bet you could affect a classroom at least, maybe a school. Um, and so there's lots of things I think we have ideas about that we feel like, well, I could never do that. And it's like, well, scale it down to what you can do. Figure yeah. out, you know, how you can make an impact. And so I think there's lots of different ways to do that. And I like the personal stuff starting off with personal responsibility and just saying, hey, 
I'm, I'm going to preach this to my congregation. Or I'm going to talk to my people about this, but I'm going to live it out. Yeah. I'm going to demonstrate it in some, in some real ways. Um, and I think having a, a view of your community outside of your church is really, really important. Not just being tunnel focused on what happens inside the walls of your church, but, you know, um, you know, I mentioned this last weekend. Um, I'm all for people in our church running for, for school board or running for borough council yeah. or and maybe maybe that's part of it. Maybe you say, hey, um, I'm going to step outside my church and serve my community in that way. Um, so I think there's lots of different things you could do, whether they're, you know, something that'll just take a moment or something that's bigger that does take a yeah. little more of an investment. Or, you know, one of the things that we've done at Summit, and it's it's free, any of you guys could do this, is we've we've accessed the Serve app and made that available to mm-hmm. our people. And you kind of decentralize some of that stuff. Yeah. You don't have to have all the ideas. You'd be surprised what's going to come out of, out of, you know, rise out of your your congregation if you just give them the ability to do that. And so yeah. with the Serve app, uh, you know, people can submit projects and, you know, we have someone who approves those things and, and mm-hmm. but then whoever submitted the project, they get to take ownership of that and recruit people yeah. and set the date and communicate with their team and all that kind of stuff. And so you can um, both, at, you know, do that for yourself, like lead a project, be salt and light in that way. But you mm-hmm. can also decentralize some of that and hand that out to your people. And you, man, you'd be, you'd be, you'll be blown away at what people come up with that you would have never thought of that. Then you start to just do those things in your community and, and make a difference. Do you think that pastors can communicate this kind of influence through things which are commonly considered vanity? So for instance, just like how you dress in public, like, do you think that that matters? Or do you think it's like, eh, one of the things we want to leave in the fifties when it comes to, <laughs> that's the main reason we're not doing a video of this podcast. We don't want to <laughs> see people to see how we're dressed. I don't know. I think part of that is cultural too. It probably depends on your, your community. It probably depends on your church a little bit. I, I'm somebody who doesn't, care a great deal about how we're dressed, but our church is, our community is pretty blue collar, um, working class. And so if I was, if I was wearing a suit and always in a shirt and tie, that would, that, that wouldn't fit our culture, at least our culture at our church. There's some pastors in our community that do that and good for them. I've got no problem with that at all, but yeah, yeah, I don't, I don't know that that's necessary necessarily. Yeah. Um, I like clothes. (laughs) Uh, and so like, um. Yeah, I don't know what what there is to say about that. I don't. I, I try not to be unaccessible or or wear things that people. You know. I want to be identifiable. I want people to be able to relate with me, um, and so I I try to be aware of that. But at the same time, like sometimes I'll wear things and people will go. I could never wear that, you know, and um, I don't know. I don't know where I'm heading with this other than to say uh, I like clothes. Uh, <laughs> this podcast sponsored by the 700 shop. Yeah. 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 Uh, yeah when uh, I don't know if I ever told you this. So uh, for those of you that are listening, Todd was our worship pastor um, for, for years until about yeah. two years ago, yeah. year and a half ago. Anyway, um, there were some, some of our softball girls who would come to our house for Bible studies and they, one of the girls couldn't remember your name. So she just, she just called you red pants. Oh yeah. Cause I had the red pants. Yeah. I wore some red. Yeah. 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 They're good for you. I don't have any problem with that. I'm just, I'm not a red pants guy. Yeah. 
I yeah. Couldn't, I couldn't wear red pants, and if I put your red pants on, I could never extract them off of my body either. I'm way bigger than you are. So. Yeah. But I, I do think that there are extremes on both ends, yeah. right? Like, if Mel wore a suit every Sunday, uh, for some of the folks in our congregation, that would... He, they would not relate to that. Yeah. Mel would seem distant to them. By the same token, if um, if I, you know, was on the far other end of that spectrum, there would be people who wouldn't take you seriously, right? And so I, we have to consider those things. Yeah. Not not because we want to try to please people, but because we want to try to meet them where they are. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe it's one of those things. There's so many potential factors that it doesn't scale in terms of advice. It's like, it yeah. just depends on where you're at. Yeah. I think at the end of the day, you've got to be authentic and yeah. you've got to be true and you've, you've got to, um, you got a desire to do your very best, um, say, give your very best, all those kind of things. Um, and then let the way you live be the salt and light, not just about the, the things I say or the way I dress or whatever it might be like, Hey, here's, what's going to differentiate us. Here's what's going to set us apart. Here's what's going to add preservatives right to our culture mm-hmm. um, is, you know, the, the fruit of my life, what's actually produced. So, yeah. So this one, uh, this next one will be a good one to wrap up on. Speaking of sort of like easy things that you can do that would have a beneficial impact. This would be easy. I don't know. I mean, the, I'm going to say it's going to have a beneficial impact, but I'm curious to know what your thoughts are. Should pastors be doing more public readings of scripture? So either through like, let's not even say scripture heavy sermons, because we kind of already talked about expository and topical, but just public readings of scripture with little or no commentary. Like the only time I've really seen this done on like a larger scale was with uh, Chuck Smith did like a C3000 or C2000 or something like that as like a Bible study series. Mm -hmm. But the kind of Bible study that it was is he was just reading. And then every now and then he would say a sentence or two, and then he Mm -hmm. would just keep reading. And, you know, sometimes I think, Bible studies don't happen because people overthink them. Like they think I have to show up with a sermon or else it won't be a Bible study. And so I want to know what you think in your experience with Bible studies and your experience with uh, small group ministries. Is it beneficial to just show up unprepared with a Bible and a group of people and start reading? Is it beneficial to show up unprepared? Uh, I'm going to say no to that. It's not beneficial to show up unprepared. Is there some benefit to just letting the Scripture speak for itself? Absolutely. Um, I think it's more effective in a small group setting than than it would be on you know in a large gathering on the weekend. and I think probably for us, it's more beneficial for us to be pushing people individually toward reading the scriptures. Yeah. Um, the reason that scripture was read aloud historically was because that most people in your congregation couldn't read, right? Before yeah. the advent of the printing press, uh, people didn't have access to books. People couldn't read. Right, And so the scripture was read aloud by necessity because people couldn't read it. Um, and so that's not the case for the vast majority of people in a Western context for certain. Yeah, and they've got so, an internet connection. They've got a Bible, exactly. access to a Bible. Yeah. Uh, and so we need to be pushing people towards studying the scripture for themselves, reading the scriptures for themselves. And that doesn't mean that there's not still some benefit to, um, you know, 
oral the oral presentation of scripture certainly there is um but not just for the sake of reading the scriptures aloud yeah i think part of um you know one of the things i hear from people um when they're talking to me about my sermons is i'll hear people say i i understand scripture whenever you preach and um and part of that is, I mean, that's what we're supposed to do as communicators of the gospel is to contextualize it in such a way where it connects, where people go, oh, okay, that makes more sense to me now. I get it. And not to say that the Holy Spirit can't do that if we just read the text, um, but that's part of what our responsibility is. Mm-hmm. And so I definitely think there is a place for um, a group of people to sit down and say, Hey, let's just read through this cold. What do you think this means? Let's talk about it together. Um, but that is different to me than just showing up in a public setting and reading, you know, four chapters of the yeah. Bible and then walking off. Goodbye. Have a good day. <laughs> you know, uh, and, and I feel like uh, as a value proposition, I don't think people would see the value in that either just because they would go, well, I could have done that at home. Yeah. You know, and then. Uh, in some traditions, you know, there is, you know, like there will be someone either from the congregation, you know, I hate the word lay person, but there'll be someone from the congregation or a member of the staff who will get up and read a large portion of scripture as part of the mm-hmm. service. And then the, the sermon, the homily, the homily yeah. right, will comment on that, right? So... But so the scriptures read sort of in isolation, but then there's commentary on it later, uh, and so I think if we want to have you know like longer readings of scripture, that that's probably a better way to handle it than just reading it and then like not Deuce. yeah yeah <laughs> deuces we out you know. Do you, do you think that there's value in talking more about translations from a platform? Um, like I feel like this is kind of the elephant in the room a lot of times, like people, when they get close enough to Sola Scriptura, they have to be asking the question, well, then why are why has it been translated in so many different mm-hmm. ways over the last century? Mm-hmm. Um, is that something that churches should be like drilling down on more? Should they be making official? I mean, I know some churches have official translations that they, that they right. use. This is the one we always use. Um, yeah. Well, what's your take on that? It can be like a hot take too, and it doesn't have to be. Uh, I, I do think, especially given the climate that we're in now, where it seems like some people are playing fast and loose with the text, um, that we have to address um, translations in, in some way or another. Um, I know for us, like when, right, when we have someone who... Um, response for salvation and then fills out the connect card, you know, that said, Hey, I've given my life to Jesus. One of the things is like we address different questions that they might have. And one of those questions is what, you know, how do I read the Bible? And then as a part of that, we talk about translations a bit and we recommend a couple. Um, I don't, we don't get into the weeds about this is why we choose these. And this is why we don't choose these. If certainly if someone asks those questions, we will talk about that. Um, but I don't know that for the average person, Especially if they're new to to cry, you know, to following Jesus, mm-hmm. they're they're even going to know why I should care about one translation yeah. or the other. So I think in that in that in those moments, it's best for us just to say, hey, 
you know, here's the here's a translation that we think would be easy for you to understand and will be a good way for you to get started. Yeah. And so as if we know why we're choosing those translations, uh, then if those questions get asked, we need to be able to answer them. Mm-hmm. But I don't know that that's a question that most people are asking, at least right away. Yeah, I agree with that. Yeah, I was uh, wedding, I did a wedding once, and I asked the couple what passage they wanted or what translation they wanted their passage read, and they said, "What do you mean English? translation? English? Yeah, yeah. English? English is good." And so, yeah, I guess that you know, we should always remember that. All right, well, Mel, Todd, thanks, guys. Thanks, Michael. Thank you. Thank you, guys, for listening to the Back Forty Leadership Podcast, and we will see you in the next episode. If you enjoy this content, please let us know by rating and reviewing the podcast. You can also contact us at summitpodcasts.church. Remember to share this episode with your friends and on social media. Summit Podcasts can be found on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you listen to podcasts, we're there. Thank you for listening to the Back 40 Leadership Podcast, and we will see you in the next episode.